This is Safe for Work, the Workopolis podcast. Hi, I'm Sal Chalfi, and this is Safe for Work. The expression, just be yourself, may be a bit of a cliche, but every now and then, you meet someone that proves just how beneficial that kind of approach can be. Consider the case of John Montgomery. An Olympic gold medalist in 2010, he made headlines around the country for celebrating with a pitcher of beer. Well, since then, he's managed to turn that confident, fun-loving persona into a successful run as the host of The Amazing Race Canada. I recently spoke to the man himself and got his take on career changes, confidence, and what it takes to be a good teammate. So you won eight World Cup medals before taking gold in 2010, but for a lot of people... You say so. <laughs> that's what the research says. I hope it's... I hope it's that right. sounds good. That sounds about right. I'll take that. But for a lot of people, you were you were the beer guy for that you know that, that moment that everybody saw, um, and you were yep. just being your, yourself and you were having fun. Do you think that that approach though really helped you athletically? Did it help you succeed? Well, the beer moment came after it was all over. So I was uh, an Olympic gold medalist when that beer came out, but right. that was honestly just John being himself, and so that was reflective of I think what enabled me to I guess capture a moment or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be at the pinnacle of performance when time demanded it of you. And that's tough to do sometimes, to realize that greatest performance when, when you're on the stage, when it, when it is time, when it, uh, all, the, uh, all the eggs are in one basket and it's time to win the championship. It's tough to pull the trigger and to actually capitalize on those moments. And so I think what enabled me to perhaps do that and uh, and to seize the moment was being authentically myself, not trying to be anybody else, not trying to be something that I wasn't. And it was all the work that I'd done before that moment in building confidence. And I think it takes confidence to be yourself, and it also takes confidence to, to seize the moment and to just be, to execute, to get out of your own way and to put self-doubt and insecurities aside mm-hmm. and be vacant and void uh, in the mind when when you've got to be on point. And that's really what it takes that stems from confidence and i think that um uh, just having that vive la joy about having an opportunity uh and not putting so much pressure on yourself to perform but just to uh let the things that you can control be the things that you focus on and everything else uh, go by the wayside and i mean it's a talking in circles now but it's uh you know when you're talking about a moment and, and what caused it for me, it was it was confidence. It was just uh, being myself, and I was a pretty mature individual. I was not, excuse me, uh, mature in age, uh, in physically uh, in years, but maybe not in in character and personality. But I was 30 years old, and I think that allowed me to be a bit more of myself uh, in that moment, and and be comfortable. Did you have to work on the confidence? Like, is that something that you had to prepare, just as you would prepare for the physical side of things? Yeah, man, and that's what I talk about in my presentations is mm-hmm. building confidence or self-efficacy. Okay. And for me, you have to work at that if you expect to be able to possess anything, uh, especially a character trait. Quite often it's something that you might have innately in you, but you can always build upon it. And even if it's not there innately, you can develop these qualities. You can develop personality characteristics. You know, uh, There are some things that you just have to accept the way that they are. Uh, but this is something that you can have a profound influence over, and it's by your, I guess, these um, conversations that you have with yourself in your mind. And it starts with a couple, you know, key factors uh, to build confidence, things to focus upon. 
celebrating small victories, you know, controlling your attitude, observation of other people whom you want to be like, and then just paying attention to the people that you build uh, as your team, as your network, as your source of uh, influence and, and resources to, to develop as an individual. You've got to be mindful of that. And if you are mindful of those, you know, four elements, I think you can develop confidence where and when you need it. Great. We've had this debate in the office a few times now where we asked the question, does natural talent really exist? And I, I believe that you might have the genetics to give you an advantage in a sport, let's say, but in the end, it's really about being exposed at the right time and then putting the effort in. What do you yeah. think about that? Do you, do you think natural talent exists? Yeah. <laughs> LeBron James has natural talent. <laughs> LeBron James has trophies and uh, endorsements and accolades and fans and uh, success because of what he's done with that raw talent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he might be that gifted uh, in his mind as well. I don't know him personally, but he could be a fantastic accountant. And if he had have, uh, used that natural math ability towards uh, a degree uh, in, uh, you know, math finances, he might be an amazing forensic accountant. Who knows? Uh, but LeBron James was given the gift of athleticism and height and uh, big hands and vision, and he used those tools to uh, to you know, craft his skill in basketball. Um, But I think that natural talent goes so far not as to make you the best basketball player in the world, but LeBron James could have been the best athlete at whatever sport he chose. Mm -hmm. And so if you're given a degree of natural talent, you have to build that through not sport-specific training, uh, but through rounding that out with physical literacy, through, uh, I guess, exposure to multiple sports, to playing a bunch of things so that you get to pick which sport ultimately that you want to choose later in life when you've developed, when you're physically mature, when you begin to uh, realize maybe monetarily what can uh, help you proceed uh, further in life as opposed to, you know, smashing your face off the ice or against another man's head or, uh, you know, you want to see longevity in sports. So maybe golf's it, maybe baseball's it. But if you've got physical literacy, you can pick the sport that you might want to play later in life. All right, fair enough. Speaking of, of longevity, you you know you you switched over from the athletic athletics to to TV. How did that opportunity come about to, to host the Amazing Race Canada? I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, your your uh, guess is as good as mine. I think it started that moment that I was being myself uh, in Whistler. To be honest with you, I think after the race is when that moment was created, when I was being interviewed by Jennifer Hedger, mm-hmm. when I was walking through the village stroll, when I was being just John Montgomery, not a skeleton racer, not a, you know, an Olympic gold medalist, but just John Montgomery the dude. And I think maybe that's what people um, appreciated, and maybe that's why I got an opportunity to, to audition for the role of host of the Amazing Race Canada. But what it was specifically, I'll never know. But the producers reached out, I suspect, as a result of, um, mm. of what they saw in Whistler, not necessarily what I did in TV after that, which, to be honest, I don't know that they even know uh, that we did a small uh, reality TV show. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I mean, it looked, from the outside looking in, it looked like you made the transition really seamlessly. Um, did, you, did you have any trouble with it? Were, were there any challenges that involved in making that kind of career change? Oh, sure. There's challenges with everything. Um, Nothing's easy. Nothing worth doing is going to be easy, that's for sure. For myself, I had some previous life experiences with a microphone in my hand being in front of an audience or a group of people or a crowd, and that was through auctioneering cars. So uh, there was a bit of a, well, I can 
sort of translate this to that, I guess, being in front of people or being in front of a group uh, with eyes upon you, being the um, master of ceremonies or the, uh, the guy with the mic controlling the show, running the shots, um, I used that to translate and to try and draw some parallels to. How long were you an auctioneer? Since 2000. That's when I went to auction school in Mason City, Iowa. Wow. And what kind of, I'm sorry, I'm going off track, but what kind of schooling is involved with, with auction? auction? <laughs> <laughs> well, at the Worldwide College of Auctioneering in Mason City, Iowa, which is the school that I went to, you go to the Holiday Inn in Mason City, and just across the highway from that is Clear Lake, Iowa, I believe it's called, and that's where the music died, where Buddy Holly and the boys were playing before their plane went down. So that's uh, the, the history and the backstory on Mason City and area. But uh, when I was there... I was doing the auction school bit, so you do seven days of eight hours in the classroom of studying different kinds of auctions, developing a bit of an auction chant uh, that you can take home with you. Every school has their own baseline for the auction chant. Mason City's is, I'm bid one dollar now two, 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 two dollars now two, would you bid two? I bid two dollars here, three dollars where? And so that's how they start you in Mason City. So people are sort of identifiable uh, by how their chant sounds sometimes based on the school that they went to. But I went to this uh, school between sem sem semesters in 2000, I guess it was, April of 2000. And that, for me, sort of cemented my, my course, I guess, after that. I was already bent on being in the auction industry, but I wanted to be an auctioneer. So uh, that's why I went to Mason City to the Worldwide College to get my certificate. So it's not too, too tough, but it's basically like anything else in life. You'll get out after it, or excuse me, you'll get out of it what you put into it after right. you leave school kind of thing. So is it safe to say that if the Amazing Race hadn't come along, you, you would be an auctioneer right now? It's safe to say that I would be in the car industry somewhere, whether it's at an auction calling bids or on the showroom floor selling cars or doing whatever. Uh, within the auction industry, that was definitely my background for education. I went to school for automotive marketing and international management, and so I do have an education specific education for the auto biz, and that's where all my work history was. So yeah, I'd likely be back in the car game somewhere. Well, interesting. I had no idea. I had read that you were an auctioneer, so that's really interesting to know. Um, so why do you think the show has been so successful over the years? It, it, it almost has eclipsed the American one in a sense, because it seems to be much more, at least from what I've read, it, it seems more popular in Canada than the American version is in the U.S. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know about that. Uh, it, that might very well be. I know the Canadian version is certainly more popular in Canada uh, than the American version is here. We have such a good following because we have been able to piggyback and pick up on, I think it was 20-some seasons of the American version before we got started here in Canada. Right. So people were excited to see their see themselves on, an, uh, on a program that they had become big fans of over a course of a decade. So we were able to capitalize on that, but also Canadians want to see places that they recognize, uh, that they've been, that they call home uh, with people who are on the race that are just like themselves. And like I've mentioned before, we're, we're big travelers, we're people of the world. And so all these things fed into a built-in fan base, not to mention that you've got the broadest demographic in terms of audience viewership that I could ever imagine, because people from the ages of four to 104 can enjoy this show and they can enjoy it together and that's probably the single best thing that I hear about the Amazing Race Canada is that families enjoy it as scheduled you know family time and they can learn about their country they can be inspired they can find places that they'd like to go and travel and foods they'd like to try and maybe never try <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, and just be inspired to live life outside their comfort zone. So that's not a lot of TV that can can lay claim to that, and so that's why I'm a proud to be a part of the show, and b why it has such a a good following here at home. Is there a favorite place that you've been to from the show? I really enjoyed the North because I'd never been there before, and it sort of was beyond what I could or did imagine in my mind's eye. Mm-hmm. You know, I sort of pictured what Farley Mowat had laid out in you know Land of the Barons and those types of books from your middle school days. Um, and uh, and so it, it wasn't that, and the people were fantastic, and uh, the, the the landscapes were tremendous, and so I really enjoyed the the north for that. I like the not quite as north um, in being in the Yukon. That was that was pretty epic. We've had a couple good stops up there, and uh, you know the BC Haida Gwaii coastline was amazing. I love my home here in Victoria, but the East Coast is always so special because I find the folks out on the East Coast to be you know. Probably about the best people on planet Earth, especially the Newfoundlanders. I mean, I haven't been to Labrador, but we will include them because it's Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, but they, they, they don't get any better than that. They, they have musicals on Broadway, you know, come from away about the people of Newfoundland. They're massive successes. They make movies about it. These people in New York who experience the hospitality of uh, uh, Newfoundlandism, um, <laughs> Newfoundlandese, whatever you want to call it, uh, they were they were speechless. They were captivated by the fact that these people would just bring them into their communities and their homes and look after them while their planes were down. So uh, it goes without saying. Great. Um, so on that note, and in, in that vein, I mean, so you've been with the Amazing Race for a few years now, and and also with your athletic history, you've had a pretty good viewpoint on what makes a good team or team dynamics. What, sure. what do you think that is? What, what is? what makes a good team? Well, where everybody's pitching in, not just to do their role, but to, I guess, be a part of this bigger picture. And if you're just doing your role, if you're uh, simply just pulling a cord or this or that, uh, you're just going to be pulling a cord, this or that. You're not going to feel like you're part of this. I guess a, I guess a good word for it is the Kaizen mentality, the uh, Japanese way of sort of uh, doing things. You're, uh, you got cross-training, and so if this guy falls down, you're filling in the gap there. And so for the amazing race, we've got such an amazing team because everybody buys into this concept of, uh, of doing it for the, the greater good of the show. And when you see guys hustling and busting themselves and basically killing themselves to create this uh, television show, everybody's inspired, not just from the racers, uh, but from the people who have the hardest job on the show, which is our tech crew, to the second hardest job on the show, which is uh, probably sound. Third would be the cameraman. That might be tied for second or third. Uh, the fourth hardest uh, role on the show is being a racer. So uh, <laughs> that's the uh, the people who be- who make the show have some of the toughest jobs out there, and then uh, the racers have it quite honestly a little easier than the the tech. Well, the tech crew. The tech crew is. There's bananas. It's this team of four guys that have, oh, several hundred pelican cases that they have to move around, and they never sleep. Um, they basically live on uh, junk food uh, and um, uh, pop and uh, whatever they can get and scrounge into themselves for about 30 days, and they're ruined human beings at the end of it. But these guys love the job. They love the role, and uh, they've got the single hardest position within the amazing race. But um, you're inspired by that, and so it takes that mentality, 
that attitude and commitment towards excellence. And because we, I guess, are a uh, sort of like the, the Olympics of television, if you will, people aspire to be on the Amazing Race crew. And so when you've got the opportunity to sort of have the pick of the litter, you can get people that want to be on this team uh, for the privilege of getting to run the race. And everybody is inspired to do a good job. And that starts with, I guess, having this cachet that we do. But it, it doesn't stop there. You've got leadership like Mark Lizakowski, who's the showrunner, um, who's been, you know, empowered by John Brunton and Barb uh, Bowley at Insight Productions to be able to, you know, shoulder this show. Yeah, he, Mark Lizakowski carries the Amazing Race Canada on his broad shoulders, and people want to please Mark. People want to work well for Mark and gain his respect and earn his respect. And so all these factors play into being a great team, and I've been a part of great teams in the past, and that's why I recognize you know, a big part of the success of the Amazing Race Canada is the team that's been built to create it. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's a top-down kind of thing from that perspective, and that takes vision. And I would think a lot of those things also help when you're trying to make a career change, right? And you, now you, you've had quite a few career changes, it seems like. You know, what advice would you give to Canadians who are looking to make their own change? <sighs> change starts with action, I guess. Maybe change starts with believing that it's, first of all, possible. So it is. You have to believe in your heart of hearts that uh, the change is within you. And secondly, it, it takes moving the feet, getting up off your seat, getting it done, uh, being a person of action and going towards those things in life that you want because nobody's going to drop them in your lap. Nobody's going to come and, I mean, maybe they do when they say, hey, John, you want to be the uh, host of the Amazing Rights Canada? So maybe <laughs> things do just fall in your lap from time to time. Um, but you have to be in a position to be ready to pounce, to be able to capitalize on that opportunity if it does fall in your lap. But more times than not, you're going to have to go out there and create your own opportunities and to, and to seek these things out in life. And that starts with you know, doing things that scare you, uh, living life outside your comfort zone. Uh, if you're scared to undertake some of these challenges simply because you think you might fail, well, guess what? Uh, you're going to fail, <laughs> so why not fail faster so that you can get towards the sweet rewards and that uh, that nectar inside of the fruit because failure is a part of the journey. And so don't look at it as, that, oh, I hope I don't fail. You're, you're going to fail. You're going to fall down. Get back up, brush yourself off, and uh, have that can-do attitude and take those steps towards the things that scare you. That's, that's ultimately where you're going to find change. And you know what? When you get started on one path, it's not likely going to lead to where you think it's going to. But just getting started, starting that journey, getting going, uh, those are the first steps to change. John, you got my vote. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. I'll take it. Uh, and finally, I have one more question. Um, how does someone become a contestant on The Amazing Race? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> uh, put in that tape. So if you don't put in a submission tape, you will never get picked. Because <laughs> we're not walking down the street saying, hey, you pal, you're going to be the next contestant on The Amazing Race. Uh, no, you got to put in your submission tape. You got to be yourself, a version of yourself, which is slightly heightened. You know, um, don't be a, a drone machine, but be authentically you and a heightened version, something that you could carry for 30 days on camera, because it does suck energy. And they want compelling, dynamic personalities and great relationships and backstories. So uh, don't pull any punches. You know, lay it all on the line. And we have some of the, well. Uh, one of the harder jobs on the show is casting producer, picking the people that folks are going to watch all summer and cheer for and be compelled to tune into because that's ultimately 
what people are paying for uh, in terms of advertisers is people watching eyeballs on the show that they can sell products to. So casting, they've got a tough job to do, and uh, and they do it better than anybody else. And so what they're looking for is that personality. Be dynamic, be yourself, tell a story, be honest, lay it all on the line. All right, some really good advice. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. No sweat, brother. Take it easy. There you go. Inspirational words from our future Prime Minister, John Montgomery. To learn more about the Amazing Race Canada and to catch up on past episodes, please visit ctv.ca slash theamazingracecanada. For job search and career tips, visit workopolis.com slash advice. And at hiring.workopolis.com, you can find our latest e-guides and our blog for employers, which has a lot of advice on recruiting, HR, and management. Safe for Work is produced by me, Sal Chalfi, Paige McGarry, and Madison McKee. Music by the band Code Pie. You've been listening to Safe for Work, the Workopolis podcast. 